Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production. I will be assisted in this venture by my brother and resident Beatles expert Paul Abbott, with a deep knowledge of the Beatles and the wider context in which they operated. Each episode we will explore and score five songs from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. The songs will be drawn at random to try and avoid any favourite album or era prejudices skewing the results as we go along. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out The Beatles. Here we are at episode four, with the next five songs ready to join the leaderboard. But before all of that, let's say a fab hello to Beetlebot, Paul. Oh, good evening, wherever good evening. you am. Yes, I'm in sunny Stoke, well, cloudy Stoke. And is you in cloudy Beetleland? I'm in cloudy Liverpool, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, the sun will shine soon that we can hope it is it i will all. say actually before we even get into the episode looking through the list of the ones that have come out uh it's not a very sunny selection i don't think i think it's quite a a, a gray cloudy sort of mood to this thing i don't mean uh, that in a in a, like a negative way necessarily but there's something you know the weather sort of suits the songs that have come out i think well we shall see oh, i will test that theory as we go through um okay This week's question, Paul, are you ready? Yeah. If in some terrible Richard Curtisian twist, the Beatles really had never existed, but somehow the rest of popular music remained exactly the same, what band or artist do you think would have come closest to filling that void? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, it's... Because there's so many different eras of Beatles stuff, you know, and whether you're a big fan of the rock and roll type stuff or whether you're a fan of the psychedelic stuff or whether you're a fan of the later rockers, there's a, a sort of a, some bands will meet the case for each of those. Yeah, as I'm for, thinking as about for, all-encompassing. Yeah, as for an all-encompassing one, you've got to think about whether any anybody did that progression particularly well. And... Uh, um, I don't know. There's some really, really amazing specialists in certain fields, but I don't know who who I'd pick if I was. Oh, God. I mean, it might. In a strange way, it might even be a band like the Hollies for the six okay. the period of the sixties because they've got a similar trajectory, and it doesn't feel too cynical when they take their step into psychedelia and it, or or step back out of it again afterwards. It's uh, yeah. Or the Who, maybe? I don't know. I'm going for the Hollies at the moment, because I like the vocals better. Okay, fair enough. And the Who come more from that blues It's a different tradition tradition that they're from, yeah. Yeah, they have a different starting point, a bit more like the Stones, and it just doesn't seem to have... I I mean, I love the Who, but not as much of an interesting trajectory until they suddenly... Until later on. Okay, shall we get started? Please do. So let's get started on this grey day with Good Morning, Good Morning. So we're in Sergeant Pepper land again, which uh, obviously the album comes out in uh, summer of 1967. And this song was recorded in February slash April 1967. It's a classic John being inspired by 
things around him because he used to do a lot of sitting around with the telly on or working with the telly on or the radio or whatever and picking up on these bits and pieces a phrase that's going to or a a thing that's going to come back throughout the course of this episode i think and this is a song inspired by a kellogg's advert and it's got some very very interesting musical features to this it's a, a driving number from from the towards the end of the sergeant pepper album it is indeed very very driven song lots of time changes isn't it and like i say famously inspired by an advert which i went and had a listen to and um, thankfully it's not modeled on the advert it's just inspired by it have yeah. you ever he- listened to the original advert i have yeah yes it's it's a very quirky tune um yeah, the opening good morning refrain which serves as the returning chorus and explodes out of the brass with the bass and kind of metronomic drums keeping the the mismatch of time signatures together um with kind of added flair I think from Ringo's point of view, there's so many changes in time that if he was just tapping out that basic beat to keep the changes, you'd forgive him, let alone being able to stick in the... I mean, they're a bit machine gun, his films, yeah, but well, they, they're in there. It's very much snare heavy, and so he is he is thumping the beat down to the floor for this one. Um, yeah. And so he's having to deal with the fact that Lennon was writing one of these songs in one of his sort of time signature changing moods that he sometimes gets into. But he does such because he's not using the the toms particularly in this one to do his his fills he's he's having to do great sort of snare work so it's I love it yeah yeah it's great and big big splashy symbols um also you've said previously on previous episodes a few ago a couple of episodes ago now that um George's guitar on fixing a hole was your favorite guitar sound I wonder is this the same setup on this one I mean it's the same album it's a very similar lead solo and the the riffs on this the solo and the riffs on this is probably my favourite Beatles sound, and it may be the same guitar. Well, it might be the same guitar, but it's not the same guitarist. It's a Paul McCartney solo on this one. Oh, is it? Yeah. Ah, so George okay. and this, you know, he's, George's role in this is very minimal. He's pretty disengaged in this one. Uh, okay. He's just doing the sort of basic guitar, rhythm guitar parts on this, and then Macca does the solo. Okay. But like um, much of Sergeant Pepper, um, with all the time changes and... and uh, this song exists kind of in a musical genre almost of its own, doesn't it? You know, it's it's so unique and it's yeah, very definitely. hard to com- to compare to anything else. So musically, I'm giving it 89. Um, it's very accomplished musically. Uh, so on to the production. Um, well, we talked about the guitar sound, which uh, despite who's playing it or what instrument it's actually being played on, it, it wouldn't emerge and sound so good on tape without the right production touch behind it and it does sound great i like the way the brass fills up the right stereo which is all down to george martin's love of that panning you know the way he he kept all the sounds separate although bear Uh, in mind as well though that even in with sergeant pepper which i think of as a very sort of swirly encompassing album they were still intention you know they're still their main focus was on a mono mix really and the thing that I think is important about the, the brass sound on this is actually what he does with it in the studio. In that, not only does he get a really gnarly brass section of these saxophones, a couple of trombones, and a French horn, but he, he super compresses them and to the point of like they're sort of distorting. Mm. And it's it's a group called Sounds Incorporated playing the saxophone, who are a band in and of themselves, who had even been like on the support bill on one of the Beatles tours that they'd known for quite a while. So. It's not just some orchestral session musicians who've been brought in to do this bit. It is literally, it's a, it's a band that knows about rocking hard. 
and, and then it's made even harder in the studio with this super compression. Yeah, it's a it's a very full sound. I mean, I didn't know if it was just how high it was in the mix, but it sounds like it's actually how how high the gain was on the microphones. Really, um, yeah, it's 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 great, um, and it has a, like a scar like fanfare that you wouldn't expect. I don't I don't you know you wouldn't think of would you? It wouldn't be the first thing that would jump to mind. Um, and I like how he keeps the good mornings kind of vocal refrain kind of slightly distant with very springy reverb compared to kind of Lennon's very upfront lead vocal. Yeah. Um, right, it's giving me trouble here because so far in Pepper, we've already scored Fixing a Hole and it's very similar, I think, in its gloss and finish as all of that album is. So it's, oh, yeah. scoring, it's scoring very similarly, not, not surprisingly. However, it does have that added complexity of the more frequent time changes and getting them and the boys to get them right and whether they did any cuts, I don't know. And the collage of animals throughout, you know, at the end and at the beginning, which adds character. Um, so because it's got very, very slightly more to it than fixing a hole, I'm giving it very, very slightly more in score, which is 90.5 for production, Ooh, which specific. means that after only four episodes, I'm already going into decimal points. So on to the lyrics. Lennon cleverly uses the corporate catchphrase as an entry point into uh, kind of Middle England suburbia, mundanity, mocking a bit feel to it, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a cynical view. This is what I was saying about it being cloudy today as we record in this and, and the, the mood of these songs. Even though it's Good Morning, Good Morning and inspired by a Kellogg's advert, it does not feel like it's the start of a sunshiny day to me, this. This is a this is a trawl around town in... Yeah, you're right. It kind of gets it gets suburban and grey, actually, doesn't it? The actual, when you, when you analyse it and pick it yeah, apart. Yeah, it's, it's, this is not swinging London. This is, this is drudgery. I mean, that's what he's doing, isn't it? He's using that kind of good morning, good morning to kind of say, look at your happy sunshine breakfast cereals that you're eating whilst what you're actually doing is is is, is walking around your dreary lives kind of thing, which is, is cynical. I mean, it's got a bit of that 60s kitchen sinkness about it of like dissatisfaction with the the system that you found yourself in, the life that you found yourself in, the exoticness yeah. of... of flirtation with a stranger or something like that but i think the key thing to remember with this is although it's doing it's got that and so it sits as a very 60s sort of song uh, john basically later disowned it was sort of said it was rubbish oh really okay. yeah i mean I, it's my least favorite part of the song so i'm scoring it um a yawning 66 for the lyrics Ooh. so that gives it good morning good morning an overall of 81.8 right next up we have Lennon again in Cry Baby Cry. The king of Paragold was in the kitchen Cooking breakfast for the queen The queen was in the parlour Playing piano for the children of the king Cry Baby Cry So Paul, Cry Baby Cry. Well, we've moved a year on from... Good morning, good morning to uh, the White Album, which comes out in November of 1968. And this is recorded in July of 68 with some overdubs in September. And it's one of my favourite tracks, I think, on the White Album. Mm. And I think the reason I like it is because it's it's clearly a band at the heart of the performance. It's a weird song in terms of its lyrical content and it's got some sort of dreamy sound effects added in to enhance the lyrics. But it's a it's a band at the heart of the thing, you know. It's John's yeah. on organ, Paul's on his bass, George's on guitar, Ringo's on the drums, and that's where they start and they build it up from there. So it's 
And you can tell that they did lots of rehearsing for this. That's a nice angle to look at it from, given that so much of the White Album is um, so separate. Well, it's their it, identities so, um, emerging, disjointed. particularly evidently, isn't yeah. it? But uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's some really nice band performances on it, and this is one of them, I think. In, indeed. Um, I mean, essentially, at the heart of it is the same phrase, musical phrase, repeated as many times as it takes to get through Lennon's lovely lyrics, which I think we'll get to later, um, which we will get to later. Um, I like that the, it's kind of a surging rather than a building song. Mm. You know, it, it, it kind of just keeps on surging up and down as the as the section repeats. And after that initial phase guitar opening, you get this heavy, heavy piano kind of marking out the backing with Paul and Ringo, really tight as ever. I mean, it is a band piece, like you say, but I don't. there's not much of George. They're lovely what you hear of George, but you don't hear it very much. But what you do get, I think, I think is it's, very nice. I think it's akin to what he plays on I Am The Warrus, actually. It's it's not stand out in terms of in the mix or anything, but it's it's this necessary sort of guitar part that the song needs to keep it keep it chugging along. But he, he does all the licks in between, doesn't he, when it does build yeah. as well. Um, there are some standout kind of licks and stuff, and then there's whatever he's doing alongside that. Um, but yeah, and the occasional, you know, the backing vocal is kept nice and light, but is is very dreamy. Um, but what a, it's just such a beautiful melody and chord progression. It's no, it's one of those you can get away with just doing it over and over, like Fool on the Hill from the last episode. You can just you can just do it. You can just repeat, can't you? When when it's when it's mm. that good. So I'm going 88.5 for the music. Right. Um, again, the 0.5. The decimals are sneaking in um, as we get get so many songs starting to bunch up. Um, so from a production point of view, am I right? First thing, Paul, am I right in hearing little tinkles and laughing around the Duchess yeah. of Kilcardy? The Duchess of Kilcardy. The Duchess. Kirkcaldy is how you pronounce it. It's spelt Kirkcaldy, but uh, as my Scottish partner yeah, would tell I'm you, it's Kirkcaldy. But it's yeah, you, yeah. Okay. There's sound effects, so they they sort of add little bits and pieces throughout the song to sort of illustrate the characters, which is something I George Martin's yeah. perfectly capable of doing. You know, a career as in comedy production. Yeah, I've never. I just never. Honestly, I've never noticed it until I listened through from my notes. Even though this is one also one of my. My favourites. Um, and I can only hear it in that bit, um, but maybe I, I need to sit and really close my eyes and really, really listen in the other bits. But I love the um, the harmonium, harmonium opening, um, which yeah, I'm yeah. right in saying that's the harmonium, yeah? Which I, I think that's great. And I think it shows brilliant restraint that he doesn't use it again, um, as far as I can tell. Um, I, I love the, as I say, how, how heavy and high the piano is in the mix, kind of with the, um, the sustained pedal it sounds like the sustain pedal is full down throughout to give it that kind of mysterious rock Victorian nursery rhyme sound, whatever yeah. that is. Um, so I'm going to go... Well, is there anything in the production you'd like to add? No, as I say, it's it's just it's a nice layered-up thing from the... It's It's got quite a lot of similarities in terms of how they built it from I Am The Warrus. So get a good band performance at the heart of it and you can do anything. Yeah, but unlike I'm the Warriors, it hasn't got lots and lots of layers of... No, but it's got it's kind of sparkle so, to make it interesting. It definitely has, but I'm going to go 83 for the production, um, as I think it does it very well. 
Um, and I have to make a shock announcement now that in my scoring of this, I'm go- I noticed my first amendment of the oh series. Oh, my goodness. So last week, I gave Fool on the Hill a dizzying 89 for production. All right. Which is, which is felt fair at the time, but on reflection, when I was looking at the scores for this one, I, I'm going to bring that down just a little to 85. Oh, right. I didn't um, realise this was, this now was for stats. a flexible chart once it was set. It is. It, it is. I said it right at episode one. I reserve the um, right to, to oh, yeah, yeah. Um, change my mind at any time. And as the, I don't know statistically, having never undertaken the exercise to rank over 200 things bef- before, how much I may need to make alterations as I go along, or just accept there's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of tied places. But um, but with this one, I was just looking at some of the references around it, and I just thought. It was just a bit high for Fool on the Hill, um, but 85 is still very high anyway, so it just get, it just put it, slotted it down a little. Anyway, on to the lyrics for Cry Baby Cry, and I think um, this is Lennon knocking it out of several parks with the lyrics on this one. Um, we're once again in his kind of wonderland, um, and as I said before, kind of a dark Victorian nursery rhyme wonderland yes. this time. Or at least it has that feel. It has that feel, but it doesn't have the kind of grimness of the dead birds in pies and chopped off heads. It's much more. It's actually quite light in in what he's singing about. Um, but it's a stately home with its menagerie of strange guests, used as inspiration to hush, you know, a crying infant child. Um, I mean, is there anything hidden in this that well, I should sh- know about? We've Lyrical. just come from Good Morning, Good Morning, and we've come to Cry Baby Cry. Make Your Mother Buy, apparently, was the origin of another advert that inspired Lennon. Yeah, oh, although it? I don't think anyone's okay. actually tracked down what this advert is. So I don't know if it's radio, mm. print, TV or whatever, but I, I can't find anyone who says they know actually what the advert is that inspired him. But he says it was okay. it says it was another advert. And as with Good Morning, Good Morning, he later went, nah, it's just rubbish. <laughs> well, yeah. even with this one. I mean, it's obviously it's not it's not anything that has meaning. It doesn't feel like it's carrying any any meaning, but it doesn't need to because it it just it just um, creates a a lyrical landscape for him to work in, you know. And and especially when you hear about the kind of idea of the White Album being called the Doll's House and mm. the, the different rooms within it, that, that this feels right at the core of that idea. Yeah, yeah, it? but yeah. You- all the commentary that Lennon did on his own songs later in his career, you know, he went through all the Beatles songs and talked to people about about what he thought about them. Yeah. And um, all these sorts of ones. He was, I think, because by that point he'd found himself in his songs and it became, the, him and Yoko became the the subject of the songs as much as anything. Yeah. That this sort of impersonal thing, he was just, he just dismissed it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he's 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 got beyond doing um, songs about imaginary third parties, and he wants to talk from the heart. So those ones don't don't excite mm-hmm. him anymore. But luckily, they excite the rest of us because I think it's brilliant. So I'm giving it the the, the the best lyrics I think we've scored so far, even even ahead of I'm the Warus, because it's more coherent yet is still an imaginary landscape. So I'm giving it 91. Oh, for interesting. Lyrics, which gives it an overall of 87.5. I mean, as 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 someone who writes. You know, this these are just the, each line of this song is like a prompt for a story. Yeah. It's brilliant. So 
that gives it an overall of 87.5. And we go move on to, hmm, which Beatles should we move on to this time from the random song mm-hmm. machine? Let's try Lennon again with I'm So Tired. I'm so tired I haven't slept a wink I'm so tired My mind is on the blink I wonder should I get up Fix myself a drink. No, no, no. So, Paul, I'm so tired. Well, we all are. It's a difficult <laughs> and trying time. But uh, Lennon at this time was tired as well, apparently, because this is one that he was more... This is one of the more truthful Lennon ones, if you will, unlike the last one we just talked about, but even though it's from the same album. So White Album, again, this was recorded on in, in one session in October of 1968. It's another one of the Rishikesh tracks that they wrote away. He'd met Yoko. He felt isolated, and the stuff happens with the Maharishi that's less than enlightening, or it's enlightening in its own way, I suppose. And this is one of the songs that comes out of it. So a tired Lennon writing a tired song, and... I will say again, actually, it's another quite a good band performance at the heart of this one as well. Yes, definitely. This this is um, like a matured version of an early a song you could almost imagine being in their earlier repertoire, but uh, but from a mature bunch of boys who now can add more to it because it's got doo wop at its heart, hasn't it? Really, doo wop is that the right word? It's got that twelve yeah, eight shuffle. Sort of tw- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that sort of chord pattern approach to it not yeah. to the extent that something like obviously like happiness is a warm gun has but yeah these t- those two songs i'm so tired and, and happiness uh, have got sort of common origin point in them as well if you listen to the uh, demos as well there's overlap between the two of them so okay they came out the same kind of session of inspiration yeah really yeah we're back in the sleepy kind of 50s feel shuffle like i say doo-wop four in the morning bathed in the city lights at your apartment window being interrupted by fits of rage um Mm. i mean they're familiar chords you'll find in many places but has anyone ever used them or did anyone go on to use them quite like this i don't know um and i don't think any other band would find the groove like you say the the band groove behind it to push it so quite so outstandingly really as a piece of music i mean this is one of those episodes where i'm you know i almost agree with you that there aren't the numbers to kind of keep on rating how good these songs are because they're just they're just coming out one after the other we are getting a nice little run of lennon songs good ones as well i mean it swings it pushes it crescendos to a brilliant hook um and i'm giving it 87.5 for the music right um from a production point of view it's a it's quite a straightforward band ensemble yeah, it's not, I don't think there's much to there's not much to criticise. There's not much to praise, really. It's it's fairly yeah. straightforward. Uh, I like that. Obviously, you've got a closeness to Lennon's voice and guitar to start it off with as well. So you've got a certain amount of in the room feel to it. Yeah, that's captured quite nicely. But other than that, there's nothing. The added sort of, organ, the added organ's quite nice, isn't it? A bit, it kind of bridges the sections and gives it. Um, an extra layer when it gets into the build of the chorus, you know, the you'd say section kind of thing. Um, it's lovely, but straightforward as it needs to be, really. So I'm giving it a 79 for production. Um, lyrics, 
we've got Lennon being painstakingly real here after the imaginary world of Cry Baby Cry. We're going to the kind of song, I'm guessing from the logic of what you were just talking about before, that he did like this one. Mm. Would that be accurate? Does he ever say anything? I think or, so, yeah. You know? I haven't got. I haven't noted down what he actually said about this one when he was asked about it, but I think this is one he was much more sort of accepting of being... He was he was happier to explain it basically yeah. than the other ones, which he was just like, oh, it's just nonsense. Yeah, because he's having a bad night, a bad time with I guess Yoko. Yeah, well, he's, he's met her and he's and he's gone to India and he's missing her and they've right. had to go through all the stuff they've gone through to to get together and everything that's happened with Cynthia as well. And he's in um, what I'd call the angry place, which is what my wife accuses me of getting in if I don't eat regularly enough. I know, um, I've seen you. You've seen my my hangry place. He's yeah. he's bearing his soul, and there's some immortal lines in there with the Sir Walter Riley, and I'll give you everything I got, you know. Yeah. I don't think there's anything hidden in here. It's all out in the open, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. So I'm giving it 75 for lyrics, um, just because they, you know I like Lennon bearing his soul, but it does mean that you let, therefore lose a little sheet of imagination on top of it. Um, but it, it suits this song you know perfectly for for the the feeling of it so i'm giving 75 which gives it a total average of 80.5 next do you want to know a secret listen do you want to know a secret do you promise not to tell So, Paul, do you want to know a secret? Oh, yes, go on. Do you promise not to tell? Uh, no, I'm a terrible blabbermouth. No, well, I'm not going to tell you then. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that nonsense. Uh, we've we've spent uh, a fair bit of time now in 67 and 68 for those first couple. Now we've gone right back to the Please Please Me session for this one. Yeah. Uh, one recording session, February the 11th, 1963, but obviously not just for this song. This is that famous... Nearly 13 hours in the studio, just getting down everything in their repertoire to make that first album. Yeah. So it's a hell of a session. It's, you know, this is the legendary one. Whereabouts in the day do you know where this one was? I mean, I know that's a bit specific and I'll put this if there is. I'm not sure, actually. It will be. I I haven't got it written down, but my instinct says it's fairly late on in the session. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I haven't got the information to hand, but it will be there somewhere. It's quite easy to find. But just how they concentrated for this, I don't know. I think it's the the notion that these songs were supposedly simple, but then you're in a studio, an unfamiliar setting, even then, for them, having to try and produce this stuff to make an album, it's uh, it's a slog. If you've if anyone's ever been in the studio, after a couple of hours, your brain is fried. Yeah. Anyway. Especially when every second counts just adds a kind of a... Yeah. A not always productive energy to it, which is you know can can kind of kick in the nerves can't it as well yeah and this would have been in the air in this session as well because they weren't the big famous you can have as much time as you want kids yet they were yeah. they were in for a session that was strictly controlled in time they could have blown it this is you know this is this is yes. that day they could have blown their everything then if they'd not turned up for the day as not you know not literally obviously but if they'd not turned up if the performances and, hadn't been yeah. good enough, they would have produced a substandard product that might not... Yeah, but luckily, because they're coming off the back of years of playing in uh, for hours and, and whatever and doing the clubs and, and starting to hone their art as, as songwriters as well and getting a bit more confidence with that, 
this is this is one of the songs that they put in there and it's this bless it do you want to know a secret it's probably one of the lesser ones that's in this session as well mm. it's under two minutes long as many of those early ones are please please me the album comes out in march of 1963 so only a month after this was record this session was done and again it's a lennon song it's lennon mccartney it's but it's, lennon, esen- yeah. it's essentially lennon again and he's borrowing a phrase from a song in snow white so we've had three songs where he's taken inspiration from external media yes of course he is yeah snow white yes it's um well well i should know this having to watch snow white every few weeks with my daughter it's the wishing well thing, isn't it? Oh, of course, before she starts off. Do you want to know a walk. secret? Do you promise not to tell uh, something on a wishing well? Yeah. Is it from the song, the wishing well song? or is it I think from... so. Yeah. Well, it's hard to tell the words in that because it's so warbly. It's yes, just, it sings in a trill. Shrill, sorry, a shrill trill. A shrill trill. Yeah, so it is um, another Lennon penned song, but featuring George, isn't it? Yeah, um, so they wrote it for, for George, essentially. Uh, well, they gave it to George knowing he needed a number on the album and he wasn't really writing anything yet. Yeah. So he gets the lead vocal on this one. Which is very generous. Um, but I guess it was also because they were doing their set and they would throw one at George and at Ringo, wouldn't they? You know, doing the... Uh, well, at the drummer, not Ringo, because he, he'd only just joined them. But, uh, you know, a drummer would get a number. The Everyone would get a number, wouldn't they? But um, George is doing his best kind of a pop voice... You yeah. know, he's doing his best, isn't he? I don't think it really suits him as much as obviously his own work would go on to do, but he's doing a fine job all the same. Um, it's a nice ditty, it, it is a ditty, but it's a nice little ditty, an early rock and roll feel, which isn't surprising given how early it is. Um, it's you know, not not very f- many frills in it. I do love the drama of the intro, and I can imagine um, Roy Orbison belting this out. You know, yeah, you yeah. really imagine it as an Orbison song and the, a kind of a finger-clicking backing band doing the kind of do-wah-do's, yeah. you know. And the minor change for the I'm in love with you bit kind of um, gives a flash of the kind of genius that was to come. Yeah, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's Lennon-McCartney in that sense that it's not just a straightforward three-chord thing. It's something yeah. different. It's good. It's solidly good. Um, but a 59 for me. All right. Musically. Um, which is good. Uh, production, um, it's absolutely riddled with bass mistakes, <laughs> this song, isn't it? Well, you know, 13-hour session. But no, it, it, there's just a few of them in there. So from a production point of view, obviously, in an ideal world, they would have taken a few more, they would have had more takes. They, they yeah. would have had but they were, never gonna, they were never going to get it in that scenario anyway. Um, I mean, the, the, but there is some production stuff going on in it, even though you wouldn't think there is. And the, the two guitars that they're playing, so both John and George are playing their acoustics, their electroacoustics. But rather than them just being recorded with a mic on the guitar each, they're also recording the the electric line out through the amplifier. So they're micing up the amp okay. yeah. and they're micing up the guitar itself and, and making a guitar out of both of those feeds essentially so it's not just as simple as oh they've recorded their acoustic guitars yeah actually they have a sort of electric edge to them as well which is quite nice and they've got the superimposed like drumstick clicks alongside the drums so yeah and it's 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 got a nice jangly treble to it i mean a a lot of um reverb which um it's a bit perhaps a bit heavy um but it does give it the whole whether it's by choice or just by the period, but that whole treble sound suits this this music. Um, I'm going right down the middle with a 50 for the production. 
So lyrics. Um, I'm not going to spend time talking about these lyrics, really, because it's a nice little idea taken to its very brief limits. I don't know if yeah. you've got anything to say. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's it's a 43 for me for lyrics. Um, they're not bad. They're just they're just what they are. They're very they're very brief in their in their scope. So I'm giving it a total that gives it a total of 50.7. Mm. Finally, we have if I fell. If I give my heart to you, I must be sure from the very start that you would love me more than her. So, Paul, if I fell... Well, I'd catch you, Gary, but we don't live anywhere near each other. Thank you. Is that what you wanted? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we've skipped forward a year from Do You Want to Know a Secret to another Lennon-McCartney number where the primary songwriter is Lennon. So, Yeah, we've had a full Lennon episode, haven't we? Essentially, although these two, that last one and this one, are both, I mean, they are Lennon-McCartney co-writes, but Lennon's the, it's the sort of 60-40 Lennon type situation on, on these ones as well. Uh, I mean, I love If I Fell. It's been, it's long been a favourite of mine because of the the harmony vocals, which we've used to sing to practice doing the harmonies when we were we learning, learning to play songs and things. And, yeah, it's from A Hard Day's Night, so it appears in the film, in a lovely little sequence in the film. The, the album comes out in July of 1964. And, yeah, it's, it's a, a rare example of Lennon... A Lennon ballad, really, at this stage of the of of the game. It is weird how this random chance has put this and "Do You Want to Know a Secret" side by side, given that again they're both primarily Lennon songs, and that they both start with a little um, kind of prologue declaration and yes. before they go into the main song. Um, it would, be, you know, the main love song at that. Um, with this one definitely being the more accomplished, I think. Um, and Lennon, out of the two of them, saved the best for himself. Um, I mean, the, the harmonies, like you say, and the melody are just gorgeous. Uh, you know, the, the picking of the chords as they shuffle along um, what would otherwise be fairly standard chord progression is elevated by, by the melody and the harmonies. Um, yeah, it's lovely. The music is getting 64 from me. Nice. Um, from a production point of view, um, I... Can't detect any mistakes in this, so that's good. Well, I mean, there's a vocal mistake in it. Oh, is there? Well, of course, at the, the, the end of the second middle eight on the line was in vain. McCartney, his voice breaks. Oh, he fluffs it, doesn't he, a little well, bit? It's just, and it cracks, his voice cracks. Well, it's in vain. He doesn't quite reach the, the note. Yeah. And that's probably why they double-tracked the vocals on it, just to cover, to yeah, make it a bit smoother and sweeter. But yeah, it's it's. I like the fact that's in there. It's it's a flawed diamond. This one, I think. Yeah, I should have. Okay, I'll I'll retract that and I say there's no bass mistakes that I could detect. Maybe I might okay. ears listening out for the lower frequencies. Um, and it, it's 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 lovely work. The 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 production of this. Um, not just with the harmonies, but with the mix between them and the the whole rhythm section behind it. Um, we've covered other songs where. They're obviously put so much work into the harmonies that it's almost overtaken the music. But I think it's all sits very comfortably together in the right proportions, like some lovely cats on a table. 
Oh. Um, and it almost <laughs> epitomises this period for me. I think it might be because we we had so much to do with this song, didn't we? We did seem this one was one that we used to practice. We never played it with the um, Beatles cover band that we were part of, did we? But we didn't know. But it was a good one to practice for singing to actually work out how to harmonise things, which yeah. was you know because it's just that two line harmony rather than block chords or whatever. It's yeah, it's a lead har- a harmonised lead vocal. Yes. And a very good one at that. I'm giving it um, 63 for production, mm-hmm. um, which leaves us with the lyrics. Um, again, it's not packing much on the lyrics front. Um, perhaps a little more than do you want to know a secret overall? A little more. Yeah, I think it's a bit, it is a ballad, but it's actually a little bit cynical. And it's it's one of the less good examples of how to treat women, I think. In yeah, this. Seven, it's, it's yeah. a bit like, well, yeah. I'll go with you if. Yeah. yeah and, and sort of using it to sort of point at someone else and saying, yeah, well, if she's like this, you know. Yeah. It's um, it's not as cynical as you can get by, no, by a no, far no. stretch, but it has got a, a, a twinge of that. But it also, because of that, it's also got a, 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 an added modicum of interest to just being um, a straightforward song, a uh, love song. I'm, scoring, I'm still only scoring it 44 for lyrics, um, which gives it an overall of 57. Blimey. Um, and then that's it for... Oh, hang on. Well, um, the trousers. It's the Ruddles. It's Ruddles Day. Yeah. Ah, the, the Ruddles klaxon. Paul, can you tell us, um, the uninitiated, what the Ruddles klaxon is and why? The Ruddles klaxon sounds whenever there's a correlation between one of the songs that the Ruttles produced either on the film soundtrack or on the archaeology album or the couple of other extra bits and a Beatles song and there's a direct parallel here in the on the Ruttles soundtrack album 1978 we have a song called With a Girl Like You and that is a direct parody of If I Fell and it's a beautiful song in and of itself it does the same thing it has a sort of opening section and goes into the sort of arpeggiated duet vocal thing as well. One thing it does differently is With A Girl Like You also apes a couple of other bits from the Hard Day's Night album in that it has a solo in it where the piano and the guitar play together a bit like in Any Time At All or on actually on Hard Day's Night itself in the solos. But yeah, it's a brilliant little sweet parody of of If I Fell and it's... uh, it's just a gorgeous little thing. It's 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 much better than it really needs to be. I've been in love so many times before, but never with a girl like you. With a girl like you to hold and be beside. With a girl like you to fill my heart with pride and joy. Yeah, it's it's almost as lovely as its target, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it's not played for, for laughs, um, like with the last one we had with Piggy in the Middle. It's just a great pastiche by someone who, you know, could well have been in the Beatles if life had arranged itself differently. You know, he had the talent, didn't he? So it's great. It's, it's lovely, and I would encourage anyone to listen to it. And that really is it now. 20 songs down already. Yeah. So... So we do a rundown following this very Lennon episode. 
At number 20, you're going to lose that girl. At number 19, yes it is. A new entry at number 18, do you want to know a secret? At number 17, you won't see me. At number 16, you really got a hold on me. At number 15, I feel fine. A new entry at number 14, if I fell. At number 13, Julia. At number 12, the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. At number 11, Day Tripper. At number 10, Old Brown Shoe. At number 9, I've got a feeling. At number 8, something. At number 7, here comes the sun. A new entry at number 6, I'm so tired. And another new entry at number 5, good morning, good morning. At number 4, fixing a hole. The Fool on the Hill is at number 3. A new entry going in at number 2, Cry Baby Cry. And at number 1, I am the Walrus. Thanks again, Paul. That's all right. And where can listeners find you if they want more Paul? Well, you can come and find me personally at Pavlovich on Twitter, or even better, go and visit at Head Ballet Pod and listen to my Novelty Songs podcast. Please do. Um, and also, whilst you're at it, you can check out garyabbott.co.uk for links to my books, my music, and um, hopefully this podcast's charts. Um, plus my Twitter, at Gary underscore Abbott, if you want to keep in touch with any feedback from the podcast or anything else. Um, and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Good Beetle.